Welcome to PropTech Espresso. My name is Mark Hurst, a former investment banker and serial startup junkie turned real estate technologist. On each 15 to 20 minute episode, you'll hear from leading entrepreneurs and industry experts on the opportunities and challenges for the rapidly changing PropTech sector. Thanks for listening today. Grab your favorite beverage and let's learn something new. My guest today is Matt Hoffman. Matt and I have gotten to know each other this past year as my work at the UC Berkeley's housing lab working with companies tackling affordable housing brought me into Matt's orbit, and since then our paths have continuously crossed. He's been an invaluable sounding board to me as I built up Herstex Solution and look forward to working with a project in the near future. Matt is the managing partner at Housing Tech Ventures, uh, which he founded in 2019 to invest in and advise early stage companies with tech-enabled solutions for the housing sector that can increase affordability, attainability, and the availability of housing. Matt has worked in the public, private, and nonprofit sectors for over 25 years, most recently leading innovation at Enterprise Community Partners for over a decade, where his work included the launch of an online bro broker-dealer for impact investing and growing a prop tech venture portfolio. Matt has also gotten his hands dirty in the real estate development, helping to drive the renaissance of Baltimore, Maryland in the early 2000s through the development of infill housing and commercial projects in the downtown core. Matt, welcome to the show. Mark, great to be with you. Awesome. Uh, as I normally do, I'd like to kick things off today by defining prop tech. My experience from talking with entrepreneurs, VCs, and others involved in the space is that there is no singular agreed upon definition for prop tech today. Matt, why do you, why do you think we have such a spectrum and, and how do you define it? Well, prop tech is one of those terms that uh, evolved uh, in just the recent past, it's only about five years old. It actually refers to property technology, and uh, it's come to come to be a um, a nomenclature for what many people would call real estate technology. Um, prop tech or property uh, is uh, is the equivalent um, word I'm told that's used in in the United Kingdom and in Europe when referencing real estate. And uh, my good friends at Metaprop, uh, which is a, a venture firm based in New York, uh, Aaron Block and Zach Ahrens, really popularized the term over the last several years as they built their firm up uh, and, uh, in fact, wrote a great primer on, on PropTech called PropTech 101 that I'd recommend to anyone. Um, it really is a catch-all phrase, um, although it's specifically talking about technology connected to real estate, uh, in reality, real estate touches everything, every sector of society. I mean, even software or virtual or online firms have some connection to real estate. So uh, in some ways, it's a very, very broad term uh, because if you look at some of the investment portfolios of uh, venture capital firms, which hold themselves out to be, be prop tech investors, uh, a lot of those investments could be classified uh, into, into other categories. Um, so, uh, it, it's a catch all term and, and, you know, within prop tech, we often hear other, uh, subcategories such as construction tech, uh, or op tech, which stands for operations tech, rent tech for, uh, for, uh, solutions that are focused on the, on the rental market. Uh, and even FinTech could be considered a subcategory or a sister category to, to prop tech. I actually created my own uh, category because I wasn't happy with the broadness of prop tech uh, for the interest that I'm pursuing, which is, uh, which I've labeled as housing tech. So any solutions that are tech enabled 
um, that are connected to the housing market. Uh, I'm calling housing tech, hence the name of my investment advisory firm, Housing Tech Ventures. Excellent. Yeah, some interesting points there. Um, I think it's a, you know, continuously evolving uh, terminology. Um, I'm specifically thinking about um, two sets of uh, kind of prop tech landscapes that I've recently uh, was was taking a look at. One was from um, 2018. Um, and the other was uh, from earlier this year that Tom Vest uh, put out. Mm-hmm. And the evolution, you know, one, the number of firms within the, the landscape had dramatically increased. And the granularity that um, was being ap- applied to the different sectors um, had gotten... Um, much more um, vast than than in the previous uh, than in the 2018 versus the the 2020 version. So um, I don't I don't think uh, I don't think this is a static term. Um, I think um, other terms such as um, housing tech, as as uh, as you're uh, defining it, and and we'll give you credit for uh, coming up with with that and and spreading the gospel, um, will continue to I think evolve the the landscape here and um, help us uh, you know. Uh, come come to grasp with this this term, and um, as more and more people are are talking about this space, I think they'll, uh, well, maybe not come to consensus on a single definition, at least have a better understanding of of what this term means. Totally agree. Having founding Housing Tech Ventures um, and being a leading VC focused on on affordable housing, uh, I think you have a unique position to see what is happening within prop tech today. Um, why do you feel prop tech is important right now and how do you see or what do you see as prop tech's biggest challenges in, in the near future? So um, using a, a definition of prop tech as kind of general innovation or solutions for the real estate sector, um, I'd say that there are several forces that are pushing us to change how we develop, own and operate real estate. Uh, at all levels of the economy and across all sectors. Um, So I'd say the most important and influential of those uh, forces uh, is an existential force, which we know as climate change. Um, So we know that buildings and the built environment account for 36% of annual global energy use and 39% of annual CO2 emissions. That's, those are UN, United Nations stats. Um, so a huge impact on, uh, on, on climate change and really, really uh, immense opportunity there uh, to shift the direction um, that, that we're heading, um, which many expect to be cataclysmic uh, if we don't do things differently. So the built environment, real estate uh, in general, both to be built and existing built structures uh, and the modifications that we need to make, make uh, for climate change are a huge force for, um, for prop tech to uh, show the influence it can have uh, in those outcomes. Um, a subcategory of that related to the energy use is, is obviously also resiliency. So with climate change, we've seen a lot more extreme weather, um, whether that's hurricanes or floods or tornadoes. Uh, and the impact that that has on the, on the built environment, uh, first and foremost, from a life safety perspective for people, especially living on the coast. Um, 
and um, and secondly, the implication, the financial implication to to the property itself that gets damaged or destroyed, uh, and the ripple effects that has moving forward with regards to insurance rates, uh, uh, development opportunities, uh, et cetera. So, uh, so first and foremost, the biggest force I think is is climate change. Um, the second um, are what I would call market forces. So. Um, front and center for many, many people, and where I'm concentrating my work is housing affordability. Um, we have a huge housing affordability issue here in the United States right now that cuts across all markets. Uh, the coast, the center of the country, urban, rural, suburban. Uh, and right now we need an additional 20 million housing units that's both for sale and rental uh, by the end of this decade. And we're currently producing only about a million a year. So that's a 10 million uh, unit shortage, which is on top of an existing seven and a half million unit affordable shortage that we have. So units that are maybe available, but not affordable to people. Um, <clears throat> so huge opportunity on the housing side. And then on the retail and commercial side, I'd say that the uh, decline or shift of, of retailers due to, to e-commerce, online shopping, uh, is, is transforming um, Main Street as well as the, as the shopping malls, as um, the underwriting and the economics of, of, of retail uh, use of real estate um, is, is clearly um, uh, heading in a, in, a, in a direction that old models don't accommodate from uh, either an investment perspective or a use perspective. And related to that, obviously, is, is the use of office space, um, not just because of the recent COVID and work for home, from home conditions, uh, but the, the emergence of, of co-working spaces um, and businesses wanting to take on uh, less lease risk, uh, especially when it comes to, to office space. The third force, I would say, uh, which I, briefly just mentioned is, is, is the force of contagion, which has reared its ugly head in the form of, of COVID-19, which uh, I and many others don't believe is a one and done episode. Um, and what we've discovered in our response to COVID-19 and what it necessitates is that um, buildings are really not designed um, with separation and social distancing and remote management. Uh, in, in, in mind. We didn't have that as a forethought. In fact, we were moving exactly in the opposite direction, which was more shared space, people more yep. densely packed, whether that was living or, or, or working uh, or retailing. Um, so <clears throat> we have to rethink all of that. I'd also say another force uh, are, are the changing capital forces. Um, so real estate really over the last decade or so, uh, post 2008 crash has become a commoditized global investment class and not just at the trophy level where we used to see sovereign wealth funds invest in, in um, the highest class uh, uh, assets in each, each asset category of real estate. Um, and we've now seen that come down market where even single family homes are uh, an investable asset class at the institutional level um, and compounding that with uh, the the slow but emerging uh, kind of crowdfunding and retail non-accredited investment opportunities that are emerging for people, um, the, the capital 
uh, side of real estate is, is clearly shifting um, and there's a lot of opportunity there uh, for, for prop tech innovators to influence. Uh, the final one I'd mention is, um, is really the force of equity and social justice. And that has really um, come to the fore, obviously, in the last several weeks. Um, a lot of people have been intentionally excluded uh, from the real estate market. Um, we know that housing policy, especially housing finance, uh, which emerged, residential finance emerged in the 1930s with the form formation of the Federal Housing Administration. Um, even in the 50s and, and that famous uh, first suburban mass development called Levittown uh, excluded African Americans from ownership uh, with, with deed restrictions that became commonplace. And, um, and, and, and the fact that we're really just coming to address the, the wealth inequalities and the, and the social and economic justice inequalities that practices like that, which are pervasive across the policy realm, but, but seem to be specifically concentrated in, in, in real estate and housing ownership, especially, uh, we're just beginning to really reckon with those and, uh, and so there's, there's going to be great opportunity for PropTech, I think, to bring some solutions to the table around that. Great points. And, and the totality of what you were describing uh, is certainly what makes PropTech interesting for, for me and, and the reason that I'm excited uh, to be involved in this space and, and to be working with assorted companies that are, are addressing the, the spectrum that you were, you were describing there. Uh, it is uh, it is a complex and, and gnarly problem uh, for sure, uh, but uh, one that's uh, I think just a, a fundamental of fundamental importance for us as a society and as as part of the part of the global community to to kind of step up and and look to look to solve. I want to definitely uh, kind of circle back to one of the points that you brought up about about COVID, and obviously, for the last three months um, and for the foreseeable future, you know, most of us have been impacted both personally and professionally uh, by this contagion, uh, uh, as as you were describing, um, and. Um, you know, I, I think that the reality is, as you suggested, that this is not not one and done. That that we will be um, exposed um, to these sorts of uh, outside forces um, on a uh, hopefully not a, a kind of recur like uh, recurring, but it, it's definitely not going to be uh, the only one we deal with in a lifetime. Um, what are, what are you seeing as as kind of the um, short and potentially long-term impacts of uh, COVID on PropTech? Well, I think uh, first and foremost, anything that can enable us to do whatever we need to do remotely has a lot of opportunity in front of it. So I'm doing work right now with um, large multifamily portfolio owners, and we talked to them about wet, dry, and scrubbed encounters. So a wet encounter is where you're face to face with someone and there can be the exchange of, of particles um, or aerosol, aerosolized uh, uh, fluids um, and that presents danger. A dry encounter is where you're achieving the same goal but uh, the two parties are, are remote um, and there's no chance of that happening. And a scrubbed encounter uh, is a in-person encounter but where uh, precautions have been taken uh, to make it safe. 
Um, so anything that's in that remote um, or quasi-remote realm um, where whatever business needs to be conducted can be conducted um, and do it cost-effectively um, and uh, efficiently and with producing the same outcome or a better outcome, great opportunity there. Uh, I think the same is, is to be said for, for anything uh, that could be self-service. Uh, so again, I'll speak from the, um, the housing perspective. Um, there's opportunity, uh, especially on the maintenance, uh, leasing, uh, move-in, and, and other things where typically a staff member would be involved uh, in providing a service where through primarily online tutorial or interaction or coaching, um, we, can, we can achieve the same outcomes again, but where the quote unquote customer is, is self-servicing uh, themselves. The third I'd say is, um, I think we now can view broadband Wi-Fi as a, uh, as a basic utility that's along the lines of, of water and, and electricity. Um, or, or gas for heating and cooking, uh, again, from the residential perspective. Um, there's three key activities that no matter where you live or where you are in the income spectrum, um, you're gonna need to be able to do, and that is work from home, uh, school from home, and health from home. And all of those are um, enabled by a broadband Wi-Fi connection um, and those that don't have it are significantly disadvantaged and dare I say even excluded um, from our society at this point. Um, so that's gonna, gonna have to shift. Um, and then the last piece I'd mention is, um, is really uh, targeted toward lower income uh, Americans. And that is um, shifting to uh, digital banking and uh, on online and online payment uh, transactions and ID verifications. Um, again, uh, higher up the income ladder, this is common. A lot of it's established through credit, uh, but there are tens of millions of Americans who don't have that. In fact, I interviewed one uh, uh, very large uh, multifamily portfolio owner in California who reported that 50% of their tens of thousands of units pay monthly using money orders, which are dropped off in person uh, at, the, at the leasing office um, or the property management office. So uh, the tenant goes out, procures a money order, uh, which is a paper certificate essentially, and delivers it. All of that is face-to-face, is -face, what we would call wet encounter. And it's primarily because they are either unbanked or underbanked. Um, and that really needs to shift. And we're talking about a huge market. Again, I view, I view these challenges uh, first and foremost as, as problems, but, but really as opportunities. So it's opportunity for business. Um, and it's, it's really um, a huge market that's been underserved. Fascinating. Yeah, I, I uh, had no idea that, the, uh, that these uh, multifamily homes were dealing with this. Uh, this sort of challenge and, and obviously uh, things that were, um, you know, I think typically viewed as um, uh, an unfortunate kind of manual process um, that, that, uh, that, that people just dealt with, um, you know, in the new world um, that we're in, in, 
living in are now present uh, real health issues that um, that people have to think about differently. So um, I know, think that's right, Mark. And I think, but I think at the end of the day, um, and I've seen this in, 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 in the private sector and in the public sector and, and even in the nonprofit uh, NGO sector, as well as that, that many people are, mo- are motivated by uh, seeking the lowest, lowest pain threshold, we'll call it. Uh, which means if I'm bringing a new solution to the table and it looks painful to me as the person who has to implement it, whether that means spending money up front with an uncertain outcome or changing processes that I'm familiar with, I'm more likely than not uh, to say no. Okay, that's a yep. big innovation inhibitor. Sure. But when that solution becomes less painful than what I was doing, and that less painful can mean more profitable, <laughs> mm-hmm. then I will change. And I think COVID, to go to your question, has uh, presented opportunity for a lot of innovation uh, to become standard practice um, because in, in, in light of the current economic situation and the conditions in which we have to operate uh, primarily remotely, um, it is now less painful for a lot of these solutions to be implemented. And that is the silver lining or the upside um, of, of COVID. Yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, as an accelerant to to new uh, or to kind of jump the chasm um, for for a lot of um, you know technology, people have been resistant to your point because it's um, you know human nature and and uh, the fundamentals uh, kind of just you know create those those sorts of barriers. Like we've we've obviously overcome many many. Um, obstacles that we placed in, in front of ourselves and said, you know, we shouldn't be doing this. And now, um, obviously, uh, with with having to this macro event that's impacting everybody, we've been able to uh, uh, do things that, that many people didn't think were possible. And, and so hopefully, uh, you know, some of that goes out of the way and people think about, okay, how, what, what can I be doing? What should I be doing both from a uh, from a business perspective, as well as from a personal perspective to, um, you know, do, you know, conduct, conduct our lives differently in a way that benefits, um, you know, all of us um, uh, so that we can kind of get through this and, and uh, have a, have a better outcome. Um, Agreed. Matt, this has been uh, just an absolutely fantastic conversation, but I think uh, unfortunately we're going to have to draw things to a, to a close right now. Um, and, but I do hope that uh, we can continue this conversation and perhaps have you back for a, for a future episode. Mark, my pleasure. Do it anytime. Awesome. Well, for anyone in the audience that's looking to contact you, uh, uh, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? I'd love to hear from you via email at matt, M-A-T-T, at housingtech.us, or you can find the website at housingtech.us, and there's a contact form there, and uh, appreciate hearing from innovators and entrepreneurs of all stripes. Excellent. Appreciate it, Matt. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. You've been listening to an episode of PropTech Espresso. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more, visit herstex.com backslash podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with a new episode.